Welcome to the Conference of Consulting Actuaries Leadership Development Podcast. This podcast is designed to provide actuaries with leadership skill development through thoughtful and engaging interviews from leaders within the profession. Tune in to gain new insights that will help you as you look to develop or refine your leadership skills and become a more successful professional. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our uh, Conference of Consulting Actuaries Leadership Development Podcast Series. My name is Michael Clark. I'm a past president of the CCA, a managing director at Agilis based in Denver, Colorado. I'm really excited today to have as a guest on the podcast one of, uh, one of my favorite people, James Jones. James is uh, a managing director at EY who splits his time in between Miami and New York City. He's definitely in a non-traditional role for an actuary, which we're going to talk a lot more about on today's podcast. He's also currently a board member of the CCA. He was my partner in actuarial mayhem with the 2020 CCA annual meeting where he served as the meeting chair while I was president. Um, A couple of other interesting tidbits about James. He is a proud alumni of the University of Texas at Austin and has a burnt orange blazer blazer that he proudly uh, wears that that makes him stand out as a UT Austin alum for sure. Um, He also uh, speaks Spanish and Portuguese in addition to his native Texas English. James, (laughs) anyway, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you uh, on today. Thanks so much, Michael. Really happy to be here. Uh, your intro was great, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. No, this will be good. There's a lot of things I know that you'll be able to share with our uh, our listeners that they'll uh, they'll benefit from. So, James, let's start out by just to help people get to know you a little bit better. I mentioned you're in a non-traditional role for an actuary. Tell people what you do for work. Great. So what I do for work is I help uh, clients in mergers and acquisitions or overall transactions, be it a divestiture, a restructuring, uh, uh, talking about all things people related. So from enterprise org design and talent planning, change management, communication and culture, and even functional HR, which includes benefits, compensation payroll. So um, it sounds like, wait, you're an actuary, you're doing all this stuff from an overall HR and even change management. Yes, I'm one of those unicorns that that like to kind of be broad across and uh, still get excited when I'm talking about my benefits, uh, particularly around retirement benefits uh, and, and health and welfare. Well, so t- talk to us a little bit about your career path. I want to get into this a little bit further because there's some really interesting things I think we can unpack there. Where did you start and how did you end up doing what you're doing today? <laughs> it's it's very interesting. So I first learned about the actuarial profession uh, in high school. I learned about it at the summer actuarial program at Howard University. I was part of the math club in my high school and they had an opportunity to go to DC to learn around actuarial science. And I said, okay, this is interesting, business, computers, mathematics. I felt like I was kind of good at all three of those. Um, made a couple of friends out there and realized this is actually the role, the thing that I would like to do. So when I came back to my senior year in high school, uh, tried to find out what's the closest actuarial program and UT Austin uh, was one of those programs and ended up applying and 
getting uh, getting uh, accepted and spending the next five years of my life at the University of Texas at Austin focused strictly on actuarial science. So made sure my, my, my classes coincided with the courses back in the day uh, and really was excited, had some internship with some uh, prior firms and was really excited about doing the work. Uh, ended up moving to New York City uh, in which my role kind of moved from doing traditional pension to doing a little bit more overall benefit consulting. Uh, and from there, I kind of grew into overall retirement consulting, explaining retirement benefits to participants as they were moving from one company to another. And then someone from our MA practice said, listen, we have an opportunity for you uh, to work in, in Latin America. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds cool. But mergers and acquisition, oh, that's a, that, that, that field is crazy. They work all the time. And they're like, no, you'd be <laughs> really good at it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I, I said, I'd try it. But I was very nervous because I never spoke business Spanish. And I started giving excuses. And the, the partner at the time was like, listen, you're going. You're the only one I got. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, I guess I'm going. Um, got into uh, the field and really realized it's something that I enjoyed, uh, something that I was really good at. And I was able to use my skills as an actuary to ask probing questions and to think critically, but to apply that over all things that happen within a merger and merger and acquisition. Uh, and so for the next two years, I did that outside of the U.S. in uh, Latin America and then over in Southeast Asia. And then when I came back to the U.S., basically, I ended up being the person or the resources that could explain to U.S.-based companies, here's what happens outside of the U.S., uh, not just, again, from, from uh, benefits, but from overall. And uh, that really kind of uh, dominated of why I wanted to be in this profession. And I haven't looked back since, really enjoy it. Um, people are like, but you're an actuary. I'm like, yeah, I'm still an actuary. I still deal with the critical concepts and, and, and critical thinking, but uh, I'm also able to kind of think outside of the box. So let, let, let's let's talk about that for a few more minutes, though, because like you mentioned, I think people are getting a sense for this. It, it, you're not signing government forms. You're not even doing valuation work in your day to day anymore, right? Not not at all. And I think it's it's interesting because that that those valuation reports and working on retirement plans really gave me the foundation to understand how data is processed and what's needed. And as you're calculating liabilities and doing the critical thinking to understand funding requirements, it's really important to get those concepts down. But I always in my career had been using that to uh, apply in other forms. So I did a lot of non-qualified valuation uh, reports and non-qualified plans uh, uh, in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., but uh, was able to use that as a foundation as I went into mergers and acquisitions. So so yeah, that, that actuarial training, the critical thinking, like you mentioned, all of that just lend itself to a skill set that you're able to apply in what you're doing today, even though what you're doing today, you would say is maybe like 2% actuarial in nature, Even maybe? though it's 2% actuarial, I would say it's 80% of what I learned as an actuarial staff and coming through the actuarial process and understanding what procedures are used. How do you request data? How do you reconcile data? What are the important questions that you need to ask to a client? I, I talk about many times we have precision actuaries and process actuaries. I would say I'm definitely more of the process actuary and being able to communicate those steps importantly uh, to, to the stakeholders. 
Um, you know, we've had a number of non-traditional actuaries on our, our podcast. It's always interesting to hear because there is that general theme of, hey, my actuarial background actually has helped me succeed in these other roles. And that's something that I, I really want our listeners to key in on that if they've got thoughts or ideas on, hey, maybe I don't want to be a traditional actuary anymore, those that that foundation of skills that you get through taking exams and the, the actual professional experience uh, in a lot of ways can set you apart from other people that are just in the general business realm that come out with a finance degree or or, or things like that, that, uh, that can actually springboard their career into something else where they can actually be just as successful, if not more successful. And I would say specifically for as an actuary, we have a leg up. Once you say that you are an actuary, Something goes off in the brains of many of our stakeholders. They know that you have the critical thinking. They know you can understand complex processes and complex concepts related to finance and, and, and statistics. So being able to come to the table uh, with, with, that, with those credentials and with that skill set is very valuable that I've seen many of my colleagues appreciate the, the different perspective, diversity of thought that I'm able to bring as we help our clients solve problems. Well, and I've got to imagine, too, that with some of the people issues that you're dealing with, especially when it comes to benefits, having a sound understanding of some of the the, the actuarial pieces that go into those benefits, uh, again, just it, it gives you a leg up because that can be one of the more convoluted things for somebody to understand, even in an M&A situation. And for somebody to be able to come in and understand the big picture, as well as what goes into coming up with some of these technical numbers has probably served you really well. It, it it has. And I think it also helps to understand which stakeholder am I speaking to? Am I speaking to the finance stakeholder who really wants me to understand the numbers and to be able to, to help as we're looking at costs? Or am I speaking to the HR stakeholder who says the numbers is important, but how does that impact J employee as we're trying to explain to them how their benefits may change, how this process may change, how it may impact their employee experience? Okay, so let me ask you this, because obviously in what you're doing today, it's it's far more broad than when you started out as a pension actuary. How did you pick up these other areas along the way, whether it's benefits or you, you mentioned like just people operations, those type of things? How did you how did you gather that knowledge and that skill set? Well, part of it I would say is just the experiences that I had as a little boy growing up in Texas uh, with my family and, and the community that I grew up in. I definitely was one to be involved in a lot of people organizations, uh, understanding how people think, uh, what motivates uh, individuals as they're going through uh, and trying to accomplish a goal. So that was one thing that's kind of helped. I think the second thing is something that my professor had told me at college, which I kind of took the wrong way, but I actually understand it now. He said, you may not actually be cut out to be an actuary. And when I heard it, I was like, wait, what do you mean? That's not what you, what you want to hear when you're when you've but, got your sights set on that. <laughs> right. But what he actually meant was because you're so broad, and sometimes we as actuaries get very narrow, 
you can use some of that narrow, deep technical expertise to apply it to the various broad challenges that your clients may be experiencing. So um, I, I look back at that, though, that those moments, what I, uh, growing up in my community, and then um, the, the words I received from my professor, who I, I adore to this day, and truly realize what he meant by that, um, has helped made me who I am today. No, I, I appreciate that, and and can relate to that quite a bit as well. I mean, in my role at my company, I do a, quite a bit of marketing and business development, and it's a, a lot of what I would say, kind of similar to what you've said. For me, I think my actuarial foundation has given me the baseline to be able to then say, okay, how do I, how do I appropriately and effectively communicate difficult concepts to somebody else so that they can make an informed decision, especially working as a consultant. Yeah, one of the things, so while at Texas, I got the actuarial uh, science degree in mathematics, but I also did the School of Business to make sure I had a foundation in finance and marketing and, and accounting, because I recognize I'm going to be a business person. So I, I love the technical aspect, the, the scientist in me loves to solve the problems. But recognizing that I'm in the area of business, that I need to be able to explain this to other stakeholders, be it employees, be it other colleagues, be it clients, in a way that they can understand it and that it resonates with them. All right. So I got to ask one more question about kind of your skill set development here. So how did you pick up Spanish? And then you mentioned <laughs> that you 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 sounded like you had some Spanish background, but then you also have Portuguese here. How did that come about? So just tell us a little bit about those, so uh, those again, two additional I, languages. Again, I grew up in Texas. And if you know anything about the great country of Texas, we're close to the Mexican border. So in high school, I had to make sure I, I learned Spanish. That was very important to me in high school and in college. Um, after college, as I was going through the early part of my career, I would actually vacation in Latin American or Spanish-speaking countries. And part of my holiday would be language school for a week, right? Because I really thought that that was important. Um, fast forward to the opportunity of being deployed in Latin America, the things that they don't teach you in language school is business Spanish. <laughs> so I knew all of this great recreational Spanish, but I didn't know how to speak business Spanish. And what I realized very quickly was that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to make sure that the ideas that you communicate are understood and that you understand what's being communicated to you. Um, so, so once I got past the fear of being perfect, um, holding meetings in Spanish in a different language was quite easy because you realize the the listeners probably do have a, 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 a an acknowledgement and understanding of English, but just want to speak in their native language, which totally makes sense. Um, that was in Spanish for 2011, 2012. Then from there, the project that I worked on, the next country up for bids was Brazil. And in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. So I actually kind of had to teach myself uh, Portuguese. Now, I will say that it's definitely not an easy language, but um, there's some some things that once you get the, the foundation, similar to our mathematical uh, concepts in actuarial science, once you get the foundation, you can start to grow really easy into, into how to speak it and how to express yourself. Again, recognizing there's no need to be perfect. You just have to understand and be understood. No, I love that. And and obviously that hits home for me. I mean, for those that don't know, so I actually, I speak Spanish as well. I, I served a two-year mission for my church down in Uruguay, down in South America and picked up the, the Castellano down there. 
and then uh, um, and then I, my oldest son is actually serving a mission for our church right now, and he's down in southern Brazil, so he's learning Portuguese, and we get to talk to him once a week, and it's funny, he's only been down there for three months, but when we have these conversations with him, uh, he will struggle sometimes to remember a word in English now, which is actually really awesome, um, and he'll throw it out there in Portuguese, and then there's enough similarities there that I can usually pick it up and say, oh, this is what he actually is trying to say in English. <laughs> and it's funny because when you're immersed in the culture, the same way as we were immersed in learning those actuarial concepts and, and getting through exams, it's sometimes hard to take it a step back and go, well, wait a minute, how do I explain this to someone uh, who who's not an actuary? How do I make mm -hmm. sure that they understand the things that, that, that are important as we're trying to make various decisions? It's a, another lifelong it's just how are you applying it? So let's round out this uh, this segment, James, with uh, just one final kind of question. I'm looking for you to provide some advice to our listeners. For someone that's considering breaking out of the traditional actuarial mold and considering a career move, what are you going to tell them? Don't say no. Unlike the 80s where we talked about just say no, I would say <laughs> don't say no. Think about what you can do and, and try it, regardless of what you may think. It may be a wonderful opportunity. I Again, I think back in my career, I was not going to do M&A just because I heard so many horror stories and I was like, I'm not going to do that. I wanted, And then once I got involved, I realized, wait a minute, this is actually something that I like and something I'm, I, I can see me being good at. So my advice to everyone is at least try it. Once you try it and you realize, hey, it might not be for you, totally understand it. But as a data-driven person, make sure you have the right data points. No, I love it. So we're going to start up a new James Jones Don't Say No campaign. <laughs> 2024, Don't Say No. <laughs> don't Say No. Don't Say No. I love it. Awesome. For more insights from the Conference of Consulting Actuaries, including webinars, meetings, and community discussions and events, check out our website at www.ccactuaries.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Are you enjoying this content? Consider participating in CCA's leadership development community to continue the discussion and share insights from this podcast. You don't have to be a CCA member to join. Just reach out to CCA staff to get started.